Amen. Good morning and happy Easter. I am so thankful that you're here today. Uh, if you're a guest this morning, we want to especially welcome you. hope that you've felt welcomed already. hope that something you've heard or experienced or that you will hear or experience will, will bring you back to be with us. We're not doing a lot of announcements today or talking about a lot of things, but I want to encourage you to pick up a bulletin. We have a lot of things that are going on in the life of our church, and they are available at the Connections booth in the back and at some of the tables around the room. Uh, I do want to mention uh, that we are having an egg hunt, Easter egg hunt, after worship, about 10 minutes or so after worship, assuming the rain hasn't started by that point. Uh, it'll be kind of out beside the playground over here. encourage you to stick around if you have kids in that age group or you just want to watch kids tackle each other for Easter eggs. Uh, you can stay as well. Uh, before I start the sermon today, we, we do have something we need to do. We have a practice that we started a couple of years ago on Easter Sunday and that practice is where I say, Christ is risen, and then together we say, He is risen indeed. Christians as far back as about the 4th century or so have been doing this, participating in this practice on Easter Sunday, where they repeat these words together. So I think in a beautiful way, it sort of reminds us about the long history of Christians gathering to celebrate the resurrection. It also connects us, I think, to those people who have gone before us, that have followed Jesus and that have celebrated his resurrection. So I want to do this together. Are you ready? You aren't ready. So I want to do this together. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, and then you need to say it with a little more passion. You were kind of asleep there for a second. I don't know how you could be asleep after the worship we just had, but I'm kind of concerned at this point. So say it like you believe it. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. A little, little more passion. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. All right, now this may come back up at the, in the sermon later. So just to make sure you aren't falling asleep, I know that's a tough act to follow what we just did, but you just be paying attention. If I say Christ is risen at some point later in the sermon, hint, I'm going to make sure that you're ready to respond. He is risen indeed. So Easter is one of my favorite days of the year for a lot of reasons. I'm especially glad that you're here today because we're going to start a new series that I'm calling Alive, where not just for today, but for the next several weeks, we're going to look, take a closer look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ looking at different stories, different people's lives, and seeing exactly how Jesus coming back to life changed everything. And so before we jump into uh, our sermon, we're going to be in Matthew 27. If you want to turn in a Bible there, you can do that or find that on your phone. It'll also be up here on the screen, and you can follow along that way. But I want to say uh, a prayer for our time together before we begin. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful uh, that Christ is risen and that the tomb is empty, and that we have the opportunity to gather this morning to celebrate that good news. And I pray that today, Father, as we open your word together, as we study together, that, that we will hear more than just information uh, coming out of my mouth, that our hearts will be open, that our ears will be open to hear what you want us to hear. I pray, God, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you will infuse these words with your power to do what normal human words cannot do. And that is build your kingdom, tear down walls, bring the dead back to life, bring us out of our own tombs so that we might live in your glorious light, Father. We pray through the all-powerful name of our risen Savior, Jesus, and the church said, amen. So I heard a funny story recently that I want to start with this morning. It was, uh, happened some time ago about a man that was riding in a taxi in New York City. And he hopped in the back of this taxi, and they're going down the road. And at some point, 
he, while riding in the taxi, he reaches up and he taps the driver of the taxi on the shoulder. When he did this, the driver was startled and screams loudly, ah! And then lost control of the car, swerves off the road, up the curb, up to a shop where he stops immediately near the glass window of a nearby shop. Everything went quiet in the car while both the driver and the passenger sat in shock. Finally, the driver said to the passenger, are you okay? I'm really, I'm really sorry, but you just scared me to death when you reached up and tapped me on the shoulder. And the passenger, a little bit confused, said, well, I, I apologize. It's my fault. I never had any idea that just reaching up and tapping you on the shoulder would startle you as much as it did. And the driver said, no, no, really. It's my fault. I apologize. Today is my first day as a taxi driver. For the last 25 years, I've been driving a hearse. Our experience is that when something is dead, we need to expect it to stay that way. There is no coming back. There are no shoulder taps. But that idea this morning is exactly what Jesus challenges with Easter. With his resurrection, Jesus comes back to life. His resurrection is the death that ends death. And we're going to start today in Matthew chapter 27. But before we read there, I want to just set up a little bit kind of the story that we're going to look at this morning. Some of the stuff we're not going to read, but, we're, but happened before what we're going to read. After Jesus was crucified on the cross, a guy named Joseph from a place called Arimathea took Jesus' body and wrapped his body in a linen cloth, and he put it in a tomb that he had in his own place, and he, it was a new tomb. And he put this huge stone over the front, and all of that happened on Good Friday, what we call Good Friday. And so the story that we are about to read happens on the next day, on Saturday. Let's look at Matthew chapter 27 beginning in verse 62. This is what Matthew writes. He says, the next day, Saturday, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. And if that happens, this last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. On that day after Jesus was crucified, Saturday... As Jesus' dead body lay in the tomb, the chief priests and the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of that day, meet with a guy named Pilate, who was the political leader of that day, a Roman governor. And they say to him, my paraphrase, you know, we remember when he was alive, Jesus said something about rising again after three days. And we don't really think people rise from the dead, but... Just in case his disciples decide to create some story and steal his body, maybe we should, you know, make the tomb secure. Maybe put a seal or, or do some, post some guards, do something at the burial site to make sure that no new story can be created and it be worse than the first story that everybody believed. And so Pilate agrees to this suggestion. He posts Roman guards and they seal the stone. And that is an interesting detail, I think. I don't know if you caught it when we read it, but to me that is a really interesting detail in the story. They seal the stone. 
We don't know exactly how they go about sealing it. Maybe it was a wax ring or something more secure than that. But what we know is this, and this is really important to the story. We know that with that seal, that seal represented the full might of the Roman Empire. That seal essentially said, Rome put this body in this tomb, and Rome put this seal on this stone. Don't mess with it. Those guards being posted outside of the tomb essentially were saying, were a way of saying, Caesar is in charge here. Don't even think about it. And and, and interestingly enough, that's where Matthew 27 actually ends. And if the story ended there, it'd be a really sad story. I actually think Matthew did that on purpose. He writes this story, and and the story sort of ends there. And I think as people came later and added chapters to the Bible, they did that intentionally because they wanted the story to come to a close in Matthew 27. It's almost like this feeling of anticipation is supposed to be building, right? Oh, no. The empire, Roman empire, has sealed the tomb and put guards in place. What will heaven do? Let's read and find out, beginning in Matthew 28. This is what Matthew says next. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and another woman named Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Which I think Matthew adds, just for a little extra dramatic flair, the angel didn't have to sit on the stone. But he did, just as, just as a reminder, right? His appearance was like lightning, Matthew says, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of this angel that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Did you see it? Did you catch it? This is, this is a moment of great reversal. Everything has now changed. These soldiers are so gripped with fear that it stuns them. Matthew says that they become like dead men. The word there that Matthew uses actually literally means like a corpse. And so he's sort of playing with the language that he's using If you think about it, this is essentially what he's saying. The people who put Jesus to death have become like dead men, and the one who was dead has become alive forever. Amen? Christ is risen. There you go. Sometimes you have to have a little bit of an imagination when you read the Bible. Kind of thinking about what this situation or that situation would have exactly been like when you read Scripture. And so we don't know exactly what happened when the angel shows up. Matthew's account of the resurrection story is the most dramatic of all Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all the accounts. It's the most dramatic with the angel showing up and all the things that happened. So we don't know exactly all the details. We know a lot of the details about what happened, but whenever the, we know, when the angel shows up, we know there was one angel and there were several guards, several Roman guards, but one angel. And the angel shows up and boom, there's an earthquake immediately. And we don't know exactly, but maybe the angel comes in as you think about it and creatively imagining this scene playing out in real life, maybe the angel comes in pushing the guards out of the way, making his way to the tomb. But I don't think that's the way it happened as I imagine it in my mind. I like to imagine the angel actually being rather polite to these guards as they stand with their jaws dropped open like corpses. 
at what they've just seen. And I imagine the angel saying something like, excuse me, gentlemen, I have an assignment from heaven and you're in my way. And the angel walks past them and breaks that stone, that seal, and rolls the stone back. And here's what I want you to notice, that in rolling that stone away, the angel is defying all earthly power that put that stone and that seal in place. Pilate, Caiaphas, the high priest, Caesar, Rome, the entire empire, all of them. That angel was not intimidated by the Roman seal. That angel was not intimidated by the soldiers. That angel rolled the stone away to announce the death of death. This is God saying, Caesar is not in charge. I am. And no human effort to prevent the resurrection will prevent the resurrection from happening. Even your silly silly little seal that you put on the stone. And of course, the angel didn't roll the stone back so that Jesus could come out. Jesus was already out. He's already out. It isn't like Jesus was raised from the dead and he's standing behind the stone and like, uh, can I get a little help here? You know, if you can be, if you're raised from the dead, you pretty much could have rolled the stone away yourself. I think the stone is rolled away so that we could go in. And there are a couple of brave women there, remember? Jesus was crucified in part because he was accused of being an insurrectionist, starting a revolt. Not true, but it was what he, part of what he was accused of. And anyone that was associated with someone who was crucified could also be tried and crucified of the same crime. And so these women are brave because they show up anyway. That stone was rolled away so that they could see in to that tomb. And the angel tells them to look and then gives them instructions to go and tell the disciples who are hiding back in town. So off they hurry to deliver this good news. And I want to read what happens next in Matthew 28, verse 8. This is what it says. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, Jesus said. And they came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. And then he said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. These women leave the tomb afraid yet filled with joy, Matthew tells us. And I love the contrast between the Roman guards who were afraid, paralyzed by their fear like corpses, and these women kneeling on the ground, energized by their fear. You see the difference? It's the same word, interestingly enough, in both cases, but it is not the same kind of fear. There is a kind of fear that freezes us in our tracks, friends, that makes us like a corpse. And there is a kind of fear that takes your breath away just for a moment, but ultimately leads to amazement and joy. And it is the second kind of fear that the women have. Their fear is infused with hope and with joy because Jesus is alive. Friday, their dreams were crushed, but today is a new day. And to fully understand just exactly how much hope these these followers, these early followers of Jesus had placed on Jesus, you have to remember that for centuries, hundreds and hundreds of years, These disciples, these women and their people, the Jews, had all been living under oppressive rule of different nations 
And Rome, the, the nation that they're currently living under the oppression of, is the worst of all. Right? They rule with terror. They crucify people that, thought, that, that get out of line, that they think are out of line. Crucifixion for Rome was like a way of saying, if you don't do what we want, if you mess with us, this is what happens to you. And they would leave people hanging out there on the road for days. Not only try, they came up with the, most, what, the, the way to most publicly humiliate someone and to physically torture someone, and they, they wanted to do that to the person they were crucifying. They also wanted it to be a reminder to everybody that passed by and to anybody that was associated with the person that they had crucified that if you mess with us, this is what happens. But here's the difference. Here's the, here's the thing. The Jews had read their Old Testament scriptures. And they knew about a Messiah that was promised. And they thought, they thought that this Messiah was going to restore Israel to its former glory when King David was king and Israel was on top and everything was going well. And they had held on to this hope for centuries. But for centuries, nothing had happened. And then along comes Jesus. He comes to earth and he begins to live among them and he speaks with authority and he speaks with wisdom and he heals people and he talks about this kingdom that is coming, that he's coming to bring into the world. He gives and shows love to people that they aren't used to seeing love given to. And all of this life that Jesus lives convinces lots and lots and lots of people that he was in fact the long-awaited Messiah. And they were completely convinced that he was about to launch this major change. He was about to put Israel on top and defeat their Roman enemy and, and, and continue to live in peace for years and years to come. So just imagine if you think about that, your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents have been telling you, one day this Messiah is going to come, and then you finally meet him. And not only do you meet him, but you're in his inner circle of friends in this historic moment. And then on Palm Sunday a week ago, he comes riding into town and the people shout, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then that man that you believed was the Messiah was going to restore Israel and put Israel back up on top gets killed by the very people that you thought he was going to overthrow. Their entire world was crushed on Friday. And with that feeling in mind, just imagine, just imagine if you can their reaction when they see this angel showing off, sitting on top of the stone. And they're told, he is not here. He's alive. Immediately their fear about someone coming back to life is, a, is mixed with hope and joy. And they're so excited they take off running. They didn't understand all of it all right away. It took some time. You have to keep reading the Bible to, to know that the Holy Spirit has to come to begin to explain things to them. Jesus explained some things to, to them after he's been raised from the dead that they didn't begin to understand. But eventually, the disciples do come to understand. They come to understand that the resurrection had changed everything. Jesus had introduced with the resurrection a different kind of hope. Because of the resurrection, these women and the other disciples no longer had their hope in God wanting to crush his enemies and put Israel back on top. Now they began to understand the point is to love your enemies, regardless of whether or not you're on top. They no longer had their hope placed in themselves. They began to understand that what God was doing through Israel, God was actually doing for the entire world. 
The disciples were no longer anchoring any kind of hope in a life that would be free of suffering or pain. Free of suffering or pain from them or, or free of suffering and pain for their families. In fact, some of them, because of Jesus coming back to life and this new kingdom that he was inaugurating, they suffered more. Some of them were martyred and died and tortured and were killed because they believed that he was the Christ and that he was alive. Their hope didn't depend on how good or bad things were in their lives or in the world because their hope was independent of all of that. Their hope wasn't attached to any of that. To say it another way, on Good Friday, they thought that God had gone silent. But now, it's Sunday. And what they saw on Sunday was that God wasn't silent. God just wasn't finished yet. There's a painting by a German artist that is titled Checkmate. This is a picture of the painting. If you know anything about this is a game of chess, and if you know anything about the game of chess... You know that it all comes down to the moment in a game when your king on either side cannot make another move. Once the king is trapped, the winning side declares checkmate and the game is over. And as you can see, the painting depicts two players in the middle of a game. One player on the one on the left is imagined to be Satan, who appears arrogant and confident. The other player is a man, simply a man. But in this painting, the man is down to his last piece. It appears, if you look closely, that he is almost defeated and that Satan will win. And so there's a story about this painting, about two guys that go into a museum and they see this painting. And one of those two guys that go into the museum is a grand chess master. (coughs) So he's really intrigued. And he stands there looking at the painting for a long time. Long enough that his friend begins to worry about him and wonder what exactly is he looking at. And after some time passes, this chess grandmaster says to his friend, we have to find the curator of this museum and talk to him about this painting. There is something wrong with the painting. And his friend asks, what's wrong with the painting? And the man replied, it's titled Checkmate, but the title is wrong. Either the title has to change or the painting has to change. But the title can't stay the same because the the picture is not depicting accurately, the title is not depicting accurately what the picture is portraying. And the man who thought he was losing, this chess grandmaster says, is actually winning because his king still has one more move. The king still has one more move. And I tell you that story because I believe that what Easter announces to the world, friends, is that the king still has one more move. The disciples got their hopes up that Jesus was the Messiah, and then he died. And they thought for a couple of days, they thought that God had gone silent, that God had forgotten them, that it wasn't as good as they thought it was. But God hadn't gone silent. God just wasn't finished. The king still had one more move. And no seal on a stone or guards or any other human effort were going to stop the resurrection. And today, my hope is that you will hear the words of the angel to the women from that first Easter Sunday. Do not be afraid. He is not here. He is risen just as he said he would be. And because Jesus has been raised from the dead, death is no longer the end of Jesus' story. And death is no longer the end of your story. 
Darkness does not win in our world, no matter how dark it gets. Evil does not win in our world, no matter how evil things seem. So whatever form of death that you experience in life, failures, disappointment, health challenges, struggles of any kind, in whatever way you are experiencing death today, right now, or later in your life, what the resurrection announces is that none of those things get the last word. You can live knowing that Christ's death has defeated death in all of its forms. It turns out that the king had one more move. And so because of that, dead things do come back to life. And we can join Paul in saying from 1 Corinthians 15, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The king has one more move. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray together. Father, today we come thankful that the tomb is empty. And we hear the words of that angel to us that we have no reason to fear. We have no fear or concern that our future is going to be questioned or is in question because we know that Christ has accomplished what needs to be accomplished. And this is the power of Christ in us, that we can believe these things. We're thankful, Father, that you weren't finished on that Friday and that you had another move to make. And we pray, Father, as we receive this word today that you'll help us to live in light of this truth. Help us to live resurrected lives because we know that Christ has been raised from the dead, has been resurrected himself. We lift your name on high and we're thankful that you came back to life and that everything changed because of that reality. We pray in the name of Christ, our brother and our Savior who is alive to this day and the church said, Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to sing one more song and then we'll be uh, closed in a prayer. We're so thankful that you're here today. Hope that you'll that you've been encouraged and that your heart has been drawn toward Christ. Your eyes have been able to fix themselves on Christ. Let's sing this song together about Jesus being alive. Lord, I live.